Welcome to another episode of the Pedestrian Podcast. Myself, Stuart Court, and Adam Nathan. How are we? I'm good. We the blase way in which you say another episode is if we just like week to week just yeah, smashing we, these we're, out. We're we need to out. be better. It's, con- it's not been good. It's a content factory over here at the at the PedPod. Um, PedPod HQ. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we we had a few beverages over the weekend as well, just before yeah. The, the dial turned on another year. For- I know, 36, outrageous. But no, it's always good to see you in the big LDN and yeah. uh, now onwards. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this week we're joined by one of our favourite people uh, who is getting ready to set off to Dallas in the next... Well, by, by the time people listen to this, you probably on an aeroplane to Dallas. Welcome back to the bed by Michael Sean Dugar. How are we? What up, what up, guys? Happy belated birthday, Adam. Thank you. You guys had a, had a good time over the weekend. Yeah, we threw on a threw on a, a light drunk. I would say had a couple oh, of. Uh... I, I got hammered on Saturday. <laughs> I got hammered in, I got hammered in, in 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 Waterloo. Went to Cabano, Adam. Don't know it. No, it's in uh, near Waterloo Station. I was yeah, eighteen pound rounds, <laughs> more red wines, double makers, and coke. It's not a good mix. Uh, oh my goodness! Yeah, wow, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. They, they like were they, they, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, they were both my drinks, but yeah. Um, yeah, uh, how's 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 you you just come back from the VMAC, obviously they're also setting off, but what's the vibe like in that building? Because like we've said to you before, I think we've been told by people when they lose, it's a dark place to be. Is that is that what it's like around the building at the minute? The, the the contrast between like the post game locker room and the weekly scene after a loss is always pretty stark. Like, um, for instance, I had a player after the game. He gave me like a a pretty bad answer, like a kind of kind of like a feisty, you know, testy response to a pretty simple question, um, which he doesn't usually do. Um, and it, you know, he because he was hot, they lost, he, you know, they got smoked pretty much too. Um, you know, everybody's family was watching Thanksgiving. It's embarrassing. <laughs> anyway, so it was it was not his usual self. He was really upset. Um, and then you know, a couple of players who just like, oh, man, I'm not talking today. Um, and then. Like two of them, at least one, one of them for sure came up on Monday when I was just in the locker room talking to somebody else. He came over, cracked a joke, and then he was just like, yo, man, I'm, I'm sorry, man. I was just, I was just upset about the game. I was like, no, it's, it's fine, man. I, I know you were. <laughs> Y'all lost <laughs> on Thanksgiving. You know, like they don't get many national televised games. You know, this isn't an NFC um, East team and it's not a team in New York. So a lot of your perception is shaped a lot when you're in one of those smaller markets by how you perform when you're on national television and you know that was a holiday as well it was the last game so everyone probably ate by then and everything and they just the game was 24 3 by the time everybody on the east coast went to bed so uh, um, but I'm, like that kind of shows how different it was in the week versus sunday or excuse me that shows how different it was in the week versus uh yeah, he came up on Sunday. The game was on Thursday. So yeah, by then guys had cooled down, but and they're like fine now. But the scene right after that one was 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 pretty. It was dark, man. The guys were out of there. I'm sure some guys left without showering. Just a funky ride home after the game. Like they was there was some. You can you can tell which guys' lockers have like because when they open the locker rooms, like behind the scenes kind of feel. When they open the locker room doors for the media, you can tell like some guys are not everyone's just sitting in their stall, right? Some guys are at their position group kind of talking to other guys. Some guys are in the shower and then some guys have already left. You can tell who's already left because their locker is completely empty and they have all their stuff in the bag that has their name on it right in the front. And some guys you can tell like, oh, his 
his shirt and socks and shoes are still there. So he's probably just in the shower, right? Or in the training room. Some guys are getting treatment. There were so many guys with their bags already in the front of their stall. I was like, oh my goodness, all the receivers are gone. <laughs> like, like that was it. Like I barely caught Jackson Smith and Jigbo, but he was already dressed by the time um, I had got in there. So yeah, it was, post game is always rough, but then they, you know, the sun comes up the next day and then guys feel a little bit better about it. It's still urgency, but it's not nearly as dark as it was um, post game. Yeah, 24-3 sent me to bed uh, as well. <laughs> I can't so, blame you. I would have stayed up for that. It was, what, 2.30 a.m. by then, and I had a coach to a horse racing thing on Friday morning. The thing is, it's not it, It's not just Thanksgiving, is it? It's not just 24-3. It's not just prime time. It's kind of the game that's been on this, like, that they would have earmarked since January as the one we need to show the world that we've close the gap on because you know the narrative going into narratives maybe the wrong word but the message at the end of last season when they got dumped out the playoffs fairly unceremoniously when all was said and done was that that's the target and that's the gap that we need to close to the 49ers so it's great that they're able to you know bury it and and be back on Sunday they were playing their pogs I saw on on Instagram today for for throwback week and doing some fun stuff, walking down to to the practice field. But I hope this game really stinks because you you, you really would have wanted to see the fruits of 10 months of work when actually it ended up being more of the same shit, unfortunately. Yeah, and I, I do think narrative is fine. Perception is fine. Like that's, I think that's fair. So put it this way: if you're a national kind of NFL fan, right? The last time you saw the Seahawks in 2022, they got boat raced on by the Niners. The next time you see them on national TV, I believe, is the uh, Giants game on Monday Night mm-hmm. Football, and then they they beat the Giants pretty handily. But then the Giants go on to be a very unserious football team for the next couple months. Um, and so, like, the Giants are kind of like that team that's become, well, oh, you beat the Giants, so that, you know, they're not real. So then, if you're, like, a, a casual fan, right, you're just a football fan who lives in, like, Minneapolis or something, right, so you're not watching every Seahawks game. Like, you're, you, that was your next shot to see them. So the last three times you've seen the Seahawks, they got blown out, they beat the Giants, who are largely an unserious team, and then they got blown out again. So, yeah, that... That is kind of the, the perception is reality in that regard. And not that it matters a ton how you're perceived necessarily, but guys can feel it in the moment for sure. Fans can, you know, like on social media, you can feel it. They feel it. Um, for instance, I asked uh, Bobby, this was like two weeks ago, I want to say he was talking about expectations and how guys kind of ignore that type of stuff. And then I was like, well, how do you even know what the expectations are? Now I know Bobby is pretty aware. He watches TV and stuff like that. Um, he's his own agent. So he, he kind of has to be involved in the he said she said more than other players but it, i was just you know for shits and giggles i asked him anyway and he was just like yeah you can feel it everywhere you go you know you go to the barbershop you go out you know your family like they'll be like oh yeah you guys are gonna have a good year or like oh yeah you guys might not be good or you know like they feel all that stuff i think it was clint hurt when he got hired mentioned staying in a hotel with his wife <laughs> And the guy who brought the room service left <laughs> a note Dunlap. about not dropping Carlos Dunlap into coverage anymore now that he's got the job. So, like, they, they feel all this stuff. They try to ignore it, but they're humans. And even if they can ignore it, their spouses can't always ignore it. Their families can't always ignore it, depending on how old their kids are. Their kids can't always ignore it, especially if their kids have very unique names, right? If, you're, if your kid, let's say, let's, let's pick an older guy on the roster. Um, 
she okay so she's not old that old but let's say you know quandre's daughter uh, let's say she goes to school here she's only like three or four but her last name is Diggs. pretty unique right so if she's at the school people probably figure that's quandre's uh kid right so if people want to say anything or bring stuff up i heard your dad stinks right like all that stuff happens i think chris paul mentioned that in the um over in the nba i think chris paul said that his his kids have had to deal with people talking about their dad at school right? so they feel all this stuff so yeah that's also why it was so big to just get boat raced again because there's there's the, as much as they want to block out the outside you just can't right you know they're not they're not monks living in caves or nothing like that you know like they got internet and family like the rest of us and you feel it when you just get blown out again by the same team that you spent 10 months trying to beat uh on on thanksgiving Adam. Yeah, the so I remember I texted you after the Bengals game saying I feel as optimistic about this team as I've felt in years. And I think you probably tempered my expectations a little bit and said it's a bit crazy, which probably it was. But you had an interesting bit on your show on Thursday when you kind of reeled off the Niners starting teams, offense and defense versus the Seahawks starting offense and defense. And mm-hmm. I think you came to the conclusion that, yeah, albeit there's the odd star here or there that's perhaps slightly more established on the Niners side of things. But I don't, I think you came to the conclusion that the gap necessarily in personnel shouldn't be as stark as what we seem to be seeing on the field. And the thing that has me worried now is that this is the team that the Seahawks have basically built. And it's two years after the trade. I think you've said before that it shouldn't take more than two or three years to really build a team in the modern NFL. So this is what they've built. And I look at it and I think, well, I don't understand why this team can't win 12 games from a talent perspective. If you go through the position groups, almost all of them, certainly none of them, I don't think hurt the team. You might say quarterback maybe doesn't elevate you, but I don't think Geno Smith is hurting the team when he's there. And the rest of the groups are really quite strong in, in almost all areas. So what is holding this team back from taking you know, People seem to have written off the fact, you know, I, I hear all the time, well, you know, they'll get bounced out of the playoffs in the first round. But the talent, in my opinion, doesn't fit that that level of pessimism, really. So what is what is the stumbling block here? I think it's, it's separate on each side of the ball, which makes sense. Um, on defense, I really think that they are, they're not as talented as the Niners, but man, that's, it's right there. When I did all that rattling off on our on our Seahawks Man to Man podcast, yeah, that was actually the first time I had to kind of rattle it off. And I legit just picked up the flip card that has each team. And I was like, let me just read it. I was like, yeah, these guys are it's very comparable. But on defense, um, the like I mentioned on our show, the swagger is just it was just missing. Like it wasn't and it's so strange. One one of the things I really like doing after the um in the middle of the week, I did it today. Um, is I watch their all access videos on their YouTube channel that the Seahawks put out. Um, sometimes I'll tweet a clip from them, but really it's just so I can kind of be up on you know behind the scenes content and just watch the defensive guys before the games. They were treating that like the Super Bowl. Like now Jamal's always fired up, so maybe that's <laughs> not fair for Jamal, but like you could just feel like they they felt the moment. They were like, let's go out there, let's do what we do, let's play with swag, let's show you the best in the world. And then they just did not tackle on the first drive. Mm-hmm. It was so so strange to see them. I don't I don't I don't know really how to explain that because it wasn't like it was a bunch of young pups. Um, Quandre missed a tackle on Christian in the open field. Um, they went at Bobby on the first drive. Uh, I can't remember if someone, I think Tariq missed the tackle on the first drive. Like it was just, 
it wasn't even like, oh, you know, they got some young guys out there not meeting the moment. Most of the guys on the defense ain't that young. Let's, let's we can count it now. How many guys in the starting defense are on their rookie deal? Spoon, Reek, Boye, and who else? That might be it. Oh, Jordan. 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 Yeah. Spoon, Reek, Jordan. I guess it would depend on how we want to classify Trey Brown as a starter or not. Um, and let's be honest, Jordan Brooks is year five. I mean, it's not like a he's not a young player anymore. He's four. He's four, sorry, Jordan's four. year four, but it's the last year of his rookie deal. So Jordan, Reek, Boye, Spoon. Uh, and then if we want to, like, Trey Brown's, like, starter is she's, like, the 12th guy, I guess, or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, 12th or 13th, depending on how you feel about Julian Love. Anyway, that's 20 – it's a small percentage of the team that is young in that sense. Most of these guys have played well enough that someone wanted to pay them again. So you would think that they wouldn't have those um, letdowns. So I think the the energy just wasn't there on the defense, although I'm, I'm not as worried about that group because um, I, just, I just feel like – I, can, I, I trust their ability to get their attitude right. Um, I do think that they should play better against Dallas. They should play better in the Niners rematch. They should. I mean, even in the second half of the Niners game, they, they got their head out of their asses. Like, I, I do trust that side. Whereas the offense, flip to that side, this is the – on my end, just personally, it was a predictably frustrating night for the offense. And I say predictable because um, I was talking to guys in the offseason – uh, mostly just around training camp time because I, I see some of these guys out too, you know, especially since I'm, you know, I'm out at like a day party or barbecues, you know, I got some people who are like mutual friends with mutual, my mutual friends, you know, so I'm seeing guys, coaches as well. Um, Cause once you get over 30, you're about the same age as half the assistants. <laughs> um, and I turned 31 in July. So, you know, one of the things that came up, particularly with coaches on the offensive side of the ball was like, we have to have an identity. And, that was I was really fascinated by that because what do you mean? It's Pete Carroll. We're going to run the ball. You guys all have hats in the facility that say run the damn ball across the top. They wear them every year. Um, but when that came up, there was it was something uh, I, I wrote about this a little bit in July. It was you can kind of feel how the roster could be at kind of a crossroads because when you draft Jackson and you bring back Gino, who you pay, it kind of suggests we are about to sling this thing. We're about to kind of be the Bengals and live in three receiver sets, mm. kind of like the Rams do as well. That's what drafting Jackson would suggest um, on top of bringing back Tyler and DK. But then you also brought back three tight ends and then you drafted Zach, with the, which essentially with the top 50 pick is pick 52, but whatever, same thing. So then it's like, all right, well, are you going to be, still be this like run team? And that would inherently sacrifice using Jackson, which would frustrate everybody, coaches, players, um, scouts, like why we take this guy 20th and we don't, you know, we don't use him. So the talk that I heard over the off season was kind of like, it doesn't really matter which direction we choose, but we should choose one like now. So we know that and we rep it and everyone can buy into it, that this is who the Seahawks are going to be in 2023, whether that's, a run to set up the pass team, which they've been in the past, or a pass to set up the run team, kind of like Buffalo and Cincinnati are kind of structured that way, um, which makes sense because of their talent. And they didn't choose. They didn't choose. And you could tell they didn't choose. Everyone can, you can tell for the first couple games, they were like, well, one game, Jackson's involved, then Tyler's involved, and then the next game, Ken's more involved, but then the next game, you go three games and you're like, wow, Will Disley hasn't caught a ball. You know, Noah didn't get targeted, I don't think, in the first game. So it's, you can just tell 
they haven't chosen. There is no identity. So then once you run up against teams who know who the hell they are, well, th- now they get to dictate the terms on defense. Now they're just like, we're about to just run our shit. And you guys can figure out what you're going to do on the fly if you would like. But we're coming in this game knowing we're about to just run our stuff and beat you. Um, and some teams haven't been able to do that against them and beat them. They've got six wins, obviously. But once you play the good teams who do know who they are, then you're screwed. So that's – I could tell – I think I wrote a column about them not having an identity. This was after the Ravens' loss. I could feel it then too. Um, because even some games, they would run the ball a few times and then stop running it, even if they were doing it well. Like when they run it poorly and then stop, I kind of feel that. But they had – they combined – Zach and Ken against the Browns, I want to say, combined for 119 yards on like 13 carries. That is great. <laughs> That's outstanding. <laughs> but why do they only get 13 carries? Uh, you know, and then the – forget who they played the next game, but I think it actually might have been the Ravens. Um, and they just – they ran it poorly and then kind of gave up on it. It was just so – they're so wishy-washy week to week. And once you do that and run up against a good team, you're just going to get beat down, you know. Um because at that point, it's not a talent thing. It's a plan thing. This team doesn't look like a team with a plan. Gino's not on the same page with his tight ends. Or Gino's not on the same page with Olu on a snap. Or um, a, the first play of the game against the Niners looked like a botched RB, RPO. You know, it's just so so much out of sync stuff. And that's where I could see that coming. You can see it coming in July when they didn't decide. And that's so unfortunate because that, of all things, is perhaps the easiest shit to do. <laughs> it's to just be like... You know what we're gonna do, guys. We're gonna be this. We're gonna we're gonna come out there. We're gonna hit guys in the mouth with Ken Walker. And once they get tired of chasing Ken, boom, here comes Zach. And then we're gonna play everything off of that. I, I could have told him that the first day at camp. He could have let me do the speech. <laughs> um, or they could have been like, "Look, we drafted Jackson. Gino's killing it. We got our tackles. We got our protection solid. We're about to open it up. And when teams." You know, start giving us those light boxes because they're scared of our explosives. Well, here comes Ken. Here comes Zach. Like, it's not actually that hard to to decide. And they just didn't. Because they didn't, now we're looking at, what, week 13, where now you're looking at a series of of must-win games, not for playoff positioning necessarily. They'll probably get in regardless. But you're looking at must-win games for, like, team morale. You just can't keep losing, particularly (laughs) on national TV again. (laughs) Yeah. If you go back to back getting your boat your boots smoked on national TV, that's when people's key cards stop working the next day. That's the type of stuff that that happens in this league. We're seeing it already with coaches getting fired and coordinators getting fired. Look, I mean, people are getting fired specifically after their team loses on national TV. Owners don't like that shit. They get embarrassed, particularly when those games are at home. So uh, I think that's why that's a long ass answer. But that's that's where, kind of where we're at on the defense, which I'm not too as worried about, but the offense. If they don't figure this out fast, people's key cards are going to stop working, um, you know, over the weekend. Just to follow up. Sorry, I've just got to follow something up there. I'm asking this question basically for you. I'm not asking this because I actually think it. I'm asking for you to explain why it doesn't make sense. In, In layman's terms, I was under the impression that teams watch what teams do in the previous games, weeks, and then develop a game plan to stop it when they come up against them. It almost seems counterintuitive to me that it should. Why doesn't it make the Seahawks better that they can do both if they want and haven't chosen which one they do do? Because it would suggest it would seem that that would make it harder to plan against if you don't know what they're going to do. So why isn't that the case? And B, why don't they just do well? 
they're showing us this, we'll do that. They're showing us that, we'll do this. Because it would, it seems like that's what should happen. It's not like they don't have an identity because they can't do one thing. They sort of don't because they can do both. No, that's a that's a great question. And I'm sure there's probably guys in the building wondering that same thing. The issue I think is it's really hard to do with like the Patriots were kind of known for that. Like one game, they would throw it a bazillion times because that's what the weakness was of that particular week. And the next week they'd have some random guy who you probably never even heard of run for like 180 because that's kind of what suggested. But that's why that was so crazy for them to do that. Cause most teams are like, we're gonna run our stuff. Bill Belichick is was this evil genius as of a coach who could just get his guys to just be chameleons in that way. That's a dangerous thing. If I was a coach, that would not be my philosophy. We're gonna adjust what we already do well based on what the other team is showing us, but we're not just gonna switch it up week to week because I want guys to have an identity, something they believe in. And the reason is, this gets to the second part of your question, is because when you get in a funk, you need to have something that you can go to to get you out of it. And that's what it's very clear. Anybody can, I'm not breaking news by saying that. You guys mm-hmm. can see the Seahawks, they'll go like three straight drives with a three and out or something like that. And it's just like, and then all the players after the game and, the, and Pete were just like, yeah, we just couldn't get in a rhythm. How often do we hear that? We couldn't get in a rhythm. That's how you get in a rhythm is having that thing you can fall back on. Pete usually prefers that be the run game, but I, I genuinely feel like Pete doesn't give a damn what it is. He just wants to score points <laughs> at this point. He's like, dude, if we gotta if we gotta put five tight ends out there and that <laughs> works, then that's what we gotta do. But that is why Pete usually likes the run game to be that thing. Like if all else fails, we got the run game that we can lean on. He says that quite a bit. And I don't even necessarily disagree with that. But right now they don't have either thing. They'll go two quarters without scoring or two quarters without crossing midfield or something. Um, and then they'll lament getting out of rhythm. And then by then now they have to throw a bunch in the fourth quarter and their, their run pass numbers get all off. And then they stink on third down and it just snowballs. Like how they've snowballed is not actually that mysterious when, when for us who are watching uh, every game. But I do think that, that the second part of your question, Adam, is the, the answer is so you can have something to fall back on when your back is against the ropes, when you've had th- a couple three and outs or maybe you've had some turnovers or whatever. Or even if you're up, let's say you're 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 up like the the, the Rams game. It was a little funky because uh, Gino got hurt. But let's say their bread and butter was run, the run game. And that's something they could lean on. When Drew Locke came in, they would have been fine if that was the case. They would have been able to, I think they got the ball in one of those instances with about 11 minutes left in the lead. That's where you need to be like, guys, we need to put together a seven-minute drive or some shit, give our defense a rest. Even if we only get three out of it, we held the ball for a long time. We got them out of rhythm. Our defense got a breather, got to make adjustments. Like, that's a win. You see good teams do that. Um, I, I forget what game I was just – I just saw it happen in, in a game over the weekend where the yeah, one team just possessed the ball forever, and you could tell it threw the other team off. I want to say it might have been uh, the Den- uh, a recent Denver game because the, the Broncos have become really good at that now. Like that, I think, is why it's important to have something you can lean on. Um, you see it with the Eagles sometimes too. When the Eagle, That's what it was. It was the Eagles. When the Eagles get in a funk sometimes, you can see – um, they just start giving the ball to DeAndre Swift. They're just like, you know what? We're, we're in the funk. We haven't scored in a little bit. And the next thing you know, DeAndre Swift gets five touches and they score. Right? Like that's that's their thing that they lean on or Jalen Hurts starts using his legs, whatever it is. you can. The good teams have it. 
the competent teams have it. And that's why you have it. Because when you need when you need a bucket, it's very something like basketball. It's like, all right, we ain't scored in a little bit. We got the ball coming out of a timeout. What's our bread and butter play that we're going to run here to get us a bucket to tie the game or take the lead or whatever it is? The Seahawks don't have that right now. They have the talent to have it. But it's like, Shane, Shane, you can tell it's like, all right, what do I want to do? It's like, get back to grocery shopping. You got a bunch of food now. You're like, all right, what am I about to make? Uh, well, I just got the ingredients for this. There's all the ingredients for that. Uh, all right, you pick something. You know, like that's what Shane's, you know, going with. It's almost better to just have like, all right, all we got in here is pasta stuff. So it's pasta today. You know, like the Seahawks are, there's too much there and they haven't picked a go to. So now when they have three, three and outs in a row, or Gino fumbles the ball, or throws a pick or something, it's not, there's no, they can't come back to center. You know what I mean? And that's, that's tough because <laughs> this is the wrong time in the schedule to have that issue <laughs> because the bank, the, the, uh, the Cowboys, the Niners and the Eagles, even though the Eagles D is a little shaky, you get in a rut, man. They'll blow you out quick. Mm. Uh, so on that identity thing, kind of like sleepwalking towards one or around it all summer, who does that fall on? Because Pete's in year 52, Shane's in year three here, Gino. Is in year two, but they've also paid a quarterback before. They've drafted a wide receiver relatively high before with DK. So who who does that fall back on? Because obviously people listening, when you say the key cards ain't going to work, that everyone's thinking of one person. But is that it's it isn't just one person that probably that probably falls back on, is it? Um, not necessarily. Yeah, I would say one person. I I do think it starts with Pete. But from what I've kind of gathered, and you can hear this when Pete talks to you, whether on his radio show or when he talks to the, the media in person, he sounds pretty hands off um, with his coordinators because uh, by experience, he's just kind of seen that, hey, man, if I get to meddling, it just it just kind of throws things off. Now, he is he has meddled before um, notoriously in the 2020 season and even the 2018 season. You know, he saw those two losses to Denver and Chicago to start the 2018 season. He sat shoddy down and said, we're going to run the ball. <laughs> That's what we are going to do. Chris Carson, the very next week, had like 31 carries <laughs> and they beat Dallas. You know, like he's, he's meddled before and we've, we've seen when it happens. Um, we've seen it on defense uh, as, as well. But I, in general, I get the sense he's been kind of pretty hands off, particularly early in the year when everyone's healthy and everything's fine. Um, so, but, so I would kind of say on that offensive side, I would look mostly at Shane. Because if your guy is Shane Walsh on the play caller, if your head coach is going to let you do your thing or let you rock, then you you're in charge of the messaging. Because I really think it's just a messaging thing. Like you, the the voice you hear in your head is the is, is the most like common when you always hear that's why your your thoughts are so popular. You know, I think therefore I am type stuff. The next more the next most powerful one is whoever your direct like superior is too. So like if you're every day Shane's like. We're going to run this rock like we're going to be more tougher than the other team. You know, that's why coaches, when they get hired, you know, their intro, you can like play intro ductory coach bingo with words like toughness and physical and, you know, all the other shit coaches say when they get hired, because that is real. You want that to be established from the jump that this is who we are going to be. We're going to be tougher than the other team. We're going to outlast the other team, whatever buzzword you want to use. And it does not see seem like that's the case. It seems like the case with Shane, who kind of comes off as one of those, uh, you know, we've seen some coaches get hired and their intro stuff is like bad, you know, they're kind of bad in front of a crowd. I feel like Nick Sirianni was like that uh, in Philly. Uh, the was the coach in Arizona? I feel like he uh, was really Jonathan, bad. Jonathan. Yeah, Jonathan Gannon. He was bad as well. I don't think either of them are bad coaches, but 
you know, that kind of in, in front of a room thing just doesn't seem to be their bag. Uh, whereas someone like Robert Sala seems to have that down, you know, um, in New York. So when I say that to say Shane seems like one of those guys who's like, he's the mastermind type of guy versus like the, I'm about to get these guys to run through a wall for me type of cat. Um, and the run through a wall for me type of guy, I don't think you need that, but you do need clear, concise and consistent messaging. That's with whatever, whether you're an elementary school teacher or whether you're commanding an army or you're a football coach, you want everybody under you to be on the same page and listening to whatever the hell you got to say and believing in it. Um, so I would probably pin that on him without I haven't asked a bunch of guys about it. I don't think they're at the point like in week 12 to just throw Shane under the bus, even anonymously, like to me privately. We're not there yet. Maybe we get there around like Christmas or something. Um, but just kind of speculating and kind of from what I know, I, I would start there with the the OC, because the OC is going to, in theory, spread that message to everyone else, too. He's going to make that clear to Andy Dickerson, the O-line coach, and make that clear to um, Chad Morton, who I believe is the run game coordinator. He's going to make that very clear to Sanjay Law, who's the pass game coordinator and the receivers coach. Because if it starts with him, you spread that message to everybody else, and then it gets to their players, and that becomes part of the identity. It seems like instead of words like toughness and physical and whatever, theirs were like multiple and we have a lot of weapons and versatile, which is cool, but it kind of reminds me of something um, the homie Ray Roberts, former Seahawk, likes to say in terms of the Seahawks history drafting O-line. They got guys who were a jack of all trades, but a master of none. Tom Cable used to love that shit. He used to take, take a guy and be like, yeah, he can play guard, he can play center, he can play tackles. <laughs> like, all right, Tom, he's kind of good at all of those things, but is he great at any of those one thing? And the answer was no, most of the time. Uh, that's kind of how the Seahawks kind of feel. They've, like you said, Adam, they can do whatever the hell they want. They can be 13 personnel. They can be a 12 team. They can be an 11 team. You know, they can do whatever. They had a snap of 23 personnel this year, actually, um, with two running backs and three tight ends on the field. It worked, too. They got a first down out of it. But at some point, being versatile and being a jack of all trades, it's, it's, it's not to your benefit. Sometimes you just need to be a master of something. That's why I love watching the Rams. McVay don't believe in nothing else but 11 personnel, for better or worse. And you know what? Because when shit hits the fan, he can lean on that. Like the re Part of the reason, I'm sure this is speculation, that he was able to get Baker Mayfield to perform in that Thursday game last year. I think it was against the Raiders, like just fresh off the plane from Carolina. Because the playbook wasn't that damn big. It was, hey, Baker, you're going to have three receivers on the field, a tight end, and Kyron Williams or something, or whoever the running back was at the time, Cam Akers. And that's it. All our players are off of that. All our protections are off of that. All your boots are off of that. All your third down stuff's off of that. Study it on the plane. We'll see you on Thursday. Like that's now. Imagine trying to do that for the Seahawks playbook. You probably, probably it's like studying for the bar in a day. Probably that's it. Just seems unrealistic, you know. Like I, so, yeah. I probably without much intimate knowledge, I throw a lot of that on Shane. Yeah. And also, obviously, the with McVay, one of my favorite. I think ever mic'd up things is the bit in the Super Bowl against the Patriots where he realizes Belichick's got him. Like he's got he's figured out what they do and how they beat it. And he's basically screwed because as you say, the yeah, there's probably not that much diversity to it. But also with with that identity stuff, like obviously injuries happen to all teams. It's a physical, wildly physical sport game and injuries take their toll over such an intense schedule. But they lost Dave Lucas early. They've lost kind of Ken Walker over the last Few weeks, it, it, it's it's um, the is it trust that they don't have, or just like you said with the jack of all trades, especially on the airline with uh, 
Bradford and a 41-year-old Jason Peters, that kind of like is, is detrimental too because they're just not, they don't really know which, which way's up, do they? Yeah, that is tough when you don't know who's going to be up. And I think the worst thing has been a lot of guys have been questionable, which is the worst. You'd rather just like, all right, dudes on IR, we won't have them. You know, as opposed to like a questionable guy who's like, all right, he's limited Thursday. Let's see how his body responds on Friday. All right, we're going to take him on the trip with us. And maybe by the time we land, he's okay. Maybe he needs some. That's the worst. Because like if you're, if you're Shane, you're like, how am I supposed to work with that? You know what I mean? Like how am I supposed to get this game plan going and, and know what protections we're going to be able to do and get all our third down stuff on the same accord when – the right side of my old line is all in the in the training room, you know, on, you know, when we're going through some of that stuff. So I, I'll, I'll cut him some slack there. And I, I bring that up to say, I think the other part of it is Shane is largely calling the game. And then Gino has been behaving accordingly as if the old line's going to hold up. And then I think that's in the run game and the passing game. Mm-hmm. You can tell some of the runs, particularly with some of their like gap stuff where it's just, we're about to just hand it right up the middle and move your guys off the rock. That's that's a fine plan if your guys can do that. And you see what other teams do and how they try to mitigate that, Like at least the good teams. Some teams whose O-lines are bad, they just call it like their O-line isn't bad, and then they stink. The Panthers are a great example, and so are the Jets. Um, they Their O-line stink. They should know their O-line stink, but they don't. They have very static offenses, and you don't see a lot of misdirection and stuff like that. Whereas, like, that's why the Niners are so good. They're like, we're about to call the game as if our O-line isn't good, even though we know it is. Like, the Niners get you running all type of different ways. They get you jumping in the wrong gap. They get you thinking something's a boot when it's a run. Then they think you're thinking something's a run when it's a boot. You know, they just get you moving all different ways. Shane and Andy, it seems that they're going in like, oh, we can block these guys. We'll be fine. You know, they they play uh this is this is third and four so it's not as fair but it play on thursday night you know third and four jason peters got hurt they put stone Forsyth in it was like yeah we'll just have stone block nick bosa and it's just like well should you like i don't know man like is that a remnant from the, is that a remnant from the lions game going so well do you think when i think it was early was yes. against them I, I think i think it was because the lions game that's why the lions the, the lions game was so fascinating for a few reasons they came into the Lions game like, hey, we're about to just get racked up front and we should call the game accordingly. And he did. And then somewhere in the game, probably in the second quarter, someone told Shane or Andy, they were like, huh, Stone is, or Jake is, Jake Curran is blocking Aiden Hutchinson. We're going to win. You know, and he blocked him the whole rest of the game. Now he held him on the game winner, but it doesn't matter. He blocked him the whole game and they won. And then for a few weeks there, they were calling it accordingly. And then Jake got beat real bad by Kayvon Thibodeau and that Giants came and then Jake stopped playing. Um, <laughs> you know, like it, it, t- it took a little bit. I mean, you could tell the next couple games were just like, we can we can block these guys. And that's the, I think that's both in the run game, too. The Bengals game was a really good example. They called a lot of that stuff like they were just going to block Trey Hendrickson and they were going to block um, their interior. And they did not at all. Not at a, not even a little bit. And I thought that game would lead to more game plans like the Lions game, going into it like, all right, we don't have what we need up front, so let's let's play it accordingly. And you're just not seeing that. And I think 
that kind of goes back to the identity thing too, because now it's like, okay, well, how do we mitigate that? Does that mean moving Gino around? Does that mean playing with more tight ends? Because if so, well, what do we do about Jackson? We just drafted 20th overall. Like, what do we do? Like, it there I, there is some stuff where I can see why Shane's and his staff. I want to put it all just on Shane. Those guys get paid too. You can see why his staff is in a little little pickle here. Like, it's not the easiest thing in the world, but it should be better than what they're producing. I think everyone, even those guys in the building can agree but i think my biggest thing is i have a few biggest things obviously but the one of them is that you can tell they're calling the games like yeah we're gonna block these guys you know yeah he's gonna block bosa and he's gonna block such and such and it's just like mm, i don't know man like i know you should have faith in your guys but you should also be real about it you know i was watching um the commander's t- uh, tape the thanksgiving tape against the cowboys before we actually started doing this show today and on one of the first third downs, I don't know how good the commander's right tackle is, but on one of the first third downs, they line up Brian Robinson on uh, Sam Howell's left and Micah Parsons rushes against the right tackle. And I don't know if this is the protection call or not, but Brian Robinson at the snap comes all the way across the formation to help his right tackle block Micah Parsons. Like Whether that right tackle is good or not, that's what you have to do, right? You have to... You have to behave that way. Behave almost like, hey, you, he needs some help, you know, just in case. Because if Micah would have got to Sam Howell, that's a game record, you know. Um, and he didn't get to Sam Howell on that play. Some someone else did, but it doesn't matter. It wasn't Micah, <laughs> which is which is which is the point of that um, example. So I think that they need to do more of that. Go into the games knowing, look, man, they have Hassan Reddick, they have Nick Bosa, they have Chase Young, they have Eric Armstead, they they have Michael Parsons or whoever, Jalen Carter. Like they have guys we may not be able to block, so let's plan uh, accordingly. Because if not, Dino's just going to get killed back there, and they won't be able to do anything. Yeah, on 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 to um on to Dallas. Obviously, a win will be a, as you said a boost to morale and everything. But it is it will be important to kind of remember like what we've watched over the last three weeks, if they do escape Dallas with a win on, on Thursday night, because like you just like, no, 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 no. Like, yes, yeah, that's, that's all fun, but you don't remember what happened what, before that. Because that's this kind of like tempering expectations with a win is 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 is, is gonna be interesting moving forward to the 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 second Niners game, isn't it? Because if they win, there's still these issues are still present because Ken Walker's not there. Abe Lucas doesn't I'm not too sure what the deal is with him. But like these issues still are still present because everyone, all the cooks are still the same. Yeah, I think they'll still have issues if they beat the the Cowboys, but it'll feel it'll feel like they're not fatal flaws if they're able to beat the Cowboys. Because to beat the Cowboys, they're gonna have to be good in just about all of the areas that they're currently not good at. Like they haven't they haven't been good rushing the passer in the last couple of weeks. They're gonna have to be good at doing that. If they are, that would mean some more encouraging signs. For example, like Boye, I don't think has had a quarterback hit in the last two games. This is after having seven straight games with a sack. If he sacks Dak, they'll be like, oh, he's back. You know what I'm saying? Like it'll it'll feel yeah. it'll feel better. You know, um, just a couple other guys haven't they haven't been getting anything off the edge outside of Boye for the most part in the last couple of weeks, really since losing Chenna. They haven't gotten much off the edge, whether from from Draymond or Derek Hall, who's done a bunch of nothing as a pass rusher in limited opportunities um, since losing Chenna. Frank Hall, Frank Clark hasn't given them really much of anything as a pass rusher since losing Chenna. So, like, but if one of those guys gets to Dak, 
it'll feel it won't feel as like the pass rush is like as big an issue um because they're gonna have to be on it they're gonna have to be on it in the red zone to beat these guys if they do that it'll feel so much it'll just feel so much better you know and they'll have stuff to build on that actually worked because so far particularly on third down on offense they have a bunch of well if we just do that it'll work next time you know because of whatever if, if if charles cross doesn't lose his rep if so-and-so doesn't lose their rep if tyler doesn't lose his route like he did on the against the niners on the third down if jackson catches the ball like he didn't on a third and four against the ravens like they've kind of they could imagine if they just do this thing right it will work in the dallas game if they win chances are those things did work they won't they will take the guesswork out of it that person will have caught the ball that person will have held their block gino will have made the throw like it will have had happened if if they beat dallas and won't be just oh yeah no if we just execute better we'll win well duh that's every week i hate i hate that excuse even though i understand it i do hate that excuse but now they won't have to imagine if everyone just did their job because everyone to beat dallas will have done their job everyone will have tackled better some of the worst tackling they've had all year against the niners uh, in that first half like that problem will feel like erased if they beat dallas so i think um taking the guesswork out of it like oh if we just do this we'll be fine they will have done it you know to to beat to beat dallas and then like i said dallas stretches dallas uh, attacks them at pretty much all of their weak points um from protection uh to tackling uh, to the run game is not totally a weak point, but it has been weaker lately. But yeah, pre- pretty much all of Seattle's offensive weaknesses are going to be tested against Dallas. So if they if they score enough points to beat Dallas, it'll feel like they won the Super Bowl. It'll feel like they fixed everything, even if that's not true, because it could all, like you said, still come crashing back down, you know, 10 days later when they play the, the Niners again. But it'll just feel so much better and it'll be easier to, to build. They'll have something to build off of because right now they're building off like, um wishful thinking they'll be building off of results if they beat dallas yeah one other thing you think it sounds like the time gino keeps talking about being more aggressive that's probably not a good mix when one of the cowboys dbs has more touchdowns than all of my fantasy running back (laughs) yeah i think i i do i do like that gino admitted that he's been hesitant with the ball because it he has been and it's weird he's been uncharacteristically hesitant Cause like last year he was really seeing windows even earlier this year he was seeing windows really well i mean one of my favorite throws from him this year honestly i think my my two favorite throws from gino in the last two seasons are both to no offense one of them is rolling left against the saints and he throws them to uh, throws them open towards the sideline and this year it's against the cardinals and he squeezes a ball that when noah catches it there's like five cardinals <laughs> like in in the uh, right around him and in both of those cases more so the cardinals one he had to he had to see that window before it developed and he's good at doing that he's actually really accurate too right now he's not doing that and our most recent seahawks man to man uh podcast on our youtube episode i looked at some of those on third down there's a couple of instances one of them is a third and that third and four i mentioned where he took a sack because stone got beat as soon as gino hits his back leg colby is open Gino throws that ball nine times out of 10. Seen him do that throw a million times and just didn't do it. There was a third and 11 in that game where he took a sack. As soon as he hits his back leg, Tyler is right there behind in the window behind Fred Warner for a dig route. We see Matt Stafford make that throw every week. Seen Gino make that throw. For some reason against the Niners, he didn't let that rip. So I do think those are the instances that he's talking about. He didn't specify because he has nothing to gain by talking about specific plays in that regard, but 
those are a couple of instances I found on gotta have it downs where, dude, you make that throw. You don't even gotta do nothing extra. Just make the throws you normally make and you'll be fine. Like I think some other teams are gonna need their quarterbacks to be better than they have been in the past to get where they wanna go, particularly in the uh, AFC North. Like I do think the Steelers and the Browns need those guys to be way better than they've ever been to get where they want to go, right? Whereas some teams just need their guy to just just be who you was when we signed you or when we drafted you and you'll be fine, you know? I think that's the case in like Miami. I think that's the case in in Baltimore. Um, and that's the case in Seattle. Just If Gino just be the dude he was when they signed that, when the ink was dry on his, uh, on his new deal, he'll be fine. Cause he's not even that dude. Like if 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 we expected him to be better this year, that's fair. But honestly, at this point, just be that guy from last year, and and, and you'll be fine. Uh, and he's not being that. Maybe that's because of the messaging. Maybe that's because of the turnovers. Only Gino really knows the answer to that. Um, but I I think if he just be that guy, he doesn't need to be more aggressive. Really, just start throwing with anticipation. You he got that contract because he threw with anticipation. Not because the guys were open and then he threw them. That's not that won't get you hundred million dollars. Nowhere. Throwing with anticipation is how you get paid in this league because those windows are so tight. So I think that's what he means when he talks about being more aggressive. And he's right. He does he can do that without throwing the ball to the other team. We just saw him do it last year. So uh, I think if he gets back to that, that'll also make it feel like everything's fixed in Seattle. I don't we've been lucky enough to have you on the show for I think five years now. We talk every year. It's roughly the same time of year. And the aim, we're told, from the team is to win a championship. And that's the mentality. That's the mindset. Win a championship. They've made changes to this. They've made changes to that. They've fixed, in inverted commas, that. They've fixed something else. Five years later, it kind of feels like we have a similar conversation and that the team are mm-hmm. basically the same. And they're not really any closer. They might, I hope they are in personnel, but there's a lot of, if he's fine, we'll be okay. We might make a divisional round. I, I, I'm down on Pete Carroll, which doesn't, you know, which makes this a, a biased and perhaps loaded question. But at some point, what are we going to do to just stop wasting everyone's time? Because it doesn't necessarily feel like we're getting the output you know, if you set your targets at the, the start of the season and it's this, we're not getting that at any stage of the season if what they preach from the the lectern is the truth. And at what point does something have to give? That's uh, that's, that's a more than fair question. Um, I don't even think it's premature at this point for the Dallas game because I'm with you, Adam. I judge the team by what they want to be. We talk about whether guys should key cards should work the next day. Um, and for every team that's different, I think one of the worst things people do in the like, should the Seahawks keep Pete John debates that we kind of have, like you said, around this time is judging what other teams have done. Like, oh, the Seahawks have won more than insert franchise, right? Like, no, that's that's dumb. You, you bet you, every franchise has its own standards and expectations, and guys get hired and fired accordingly, right? Like, uh, bro in Carolina, Frank Reich just got fired, right? Not because they're not winning the division. It's because they had an ex- expectation for a level of competence, and they don't have that. When you watch the Panthers, they're just not competent. They didn't. I know the Panthers didn't expect to win the Super Bowl this year. That's just They probably didn't even expect to win the division, but they didn't expect to be incompetent, which is what they are. So the guy got fired. If uh, 
Doug McDermott gets fired in Buffalo, right? Um, which is super plausible. Like they're not in the playoffs now, but let's say they even make it and they get bounced like the Seahawks, right? Doug's probably going to get fired. Not because sure, Doug's right? a bad coach. Uh, or no, sorry, Sean McDermott. Who's Doug McDermott? Oh, he's a dude from Creighton, the NBA player. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I've um, heard that on two different podcasts. People say Doug McDermott said of Sean. Sorry, like, yeah. Oh, top of my brain. Thank you. Thank you for correcting me. Um, yeah, the Buffalo Bills coach, Sean McDermott. He's probably going to get fired. He's probably going to get fired if they go one and done or just don't make the playoffs at all. And then you'll see all these things like how many games he's won, how many more, more that is than insert other franchises or how that compares to other Bills coaches. And all of that is disingenuous. Stop doing that. People, no one should do that. The standard, I forget what the owner name, owner's name of the Bills is, but that owner, I'm pretty sure, is like, we should win the Super Bowl. Or we should be right around there in that little cluster of teams that almost got there or almost won it or whatever. And Sean would get fired because he did not meet that. And that he could probably have a winning record in that in that scenario. He could probably go like nine and eight and get booted. Right. And then and he'd get another job right away. So I wouldn't like feel bad for him. But you've got to judge teams off their own expectations. His expectation here from Jody Allen to John Snyder to Pete Carroll is build a championship contender. And that does that when you're viewing it through that lens, which is what they are doing, then yeah, you don't get pats on the back for being nine and eight. And they lost by like 20 in the playoff game. <laughs> it wasn't even, you know, they lost on a missed field goal or some something funky. By the fourth quarter, it was the Seahawks fans were out of the building in Levi's, you know. Um, and if that happens again, if they have to go to Detroit and lose or something like that in the wild card round. You don't, you don't get a pat on the back because what you're going to hear is, oh, yeah, Pete's made the playoffs in X amount of seasons and he's won X amount of games, which is all fair. But Pete, he will tell you himself, he's not here to win X amount of games and get close. Like one of the one of the biggest things about Pete that stood out to me is that when you ask him about the beast quake uh, run, what he brings up is that they lost the next week in Chicago, like that because that's what mattered to him. It's like yeah, that was a great run. We won. Like we expected to win the game. You guys are surprised we won it because we were seven and nine, but we went into the game expecting to beat the Saints. We did not go to Chicago expecting to lose, and that's the thing that sticked with him from that playoff run, as it should. That's the same thing we should judge him this year. Yeah. That's why I didn't buy like him getting votes for like coach of the year last year. It's like, you did okay. You were above 500 and then you were clearly not close with the team that beat you in the playoffs. That's just like a decent coach to me. Um, but he doesn't believe in being decent. He wants to win a championship. So I do think, I don't know what it would specifically take um, because there are very fair criticisms of the process here. You know, um, having Bobby back, tweaks the number a little bit, but in essence, they have churned the entire roster and mm, pretty much the entire staff under Pete, with the exception of like Nate Carroll and Tater, um, and Tater's even left and come back. So you've churned basically the whole coaching staff since your last NFC title game. You've, with the exception of Bobby, you've cleared out the entire roster since then. Uh, you've lost some executives and some scouting people, but that, you know, even that staff is not exactly the same either. All right. So if you're Jody, all right, I'm assessing the process. There's only a couple common denominators here. Um, and that's, that's, that's John and Pete. So I do think two scenarios I could see where you get a change is a loss to the Niners in week, whatever that is coming up, going to Santa Clara again in the playoffs this year and getting beat down again. That would be 
six straight losses to the Niners, including two that ended your season. That is tough. Because at that point, <laughs> if you're Jody, it's like, I should just hire someone from Kyle Shanahan's staff. Because <laughs> clearly they got the sauce over there, you know? Um, I could see that scenario. I could see some change. Because that is hard to swallow when it's your own division where you're falling short. If you were like the Bills or something like that, where they keep losing to, well, I guess they've lost to the Bengals now too. But for a second there, it kind of looked like Josh was only just not, the, the only hurdle they had to clear was the Chiefs. You know, team, you could swallow that a little bit. But if the hurdle you got to clear is just in your own division, I mean, Pete's gotten coaches fired in the division for that exact reason. You know, it's like, oh, Harbaugh, you can't beat Pete. See ya. You know, it, it, this would just be that in, in reverse. Jeff Fisher, you can't beat Pete. See ya. Bruce Arians, you can't beat Pete. See ya. Well, he might have retired, but whatever. You guys get the point. Um, it, Pete was the hurdle. So if someone else is the hurdle now, I could see that scenario. Six straight losses to the Niners and all six of them not being competitive. Yeah, I could I could see that. I could see that key card stop working. Or maybe Pete just walks away. Um, and then the the other scenario would just be not making the playoffs at all. Like to be, what were they? What was they at their best? Six and three might have been their yeah. best record. Yeah. yeah. Um, to go from six and three, which I believe they were last year as well, or at least six and four and in first place, to at one point have first place in the division in the last two years, and then to just get boat raced in the playoffs and the next year you don't even make it um yeah I, I could see some 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 big changes at that point particularly because one of the things that pete and john have complained about and it's a fair complaint is that other teams in the division have been sorry enough to get these blue chip talents in the first round whereas the seahawks have been in the back of not just the first round back of every round you know because of the, how how good they've been well that's not really an excuse anymore jackson picked 20 Charles Cross was pick nine. Spoon was pick five. Like you got, you're getting some 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 opportunities here. You know, you had to get rid of Russ to do it, but whatever, you you did it. You know, you shoot, you got Jamal. Jamal's pick six, I think, in his draft. Uh, Leonard Williams was a first round pick in his draft. I just don't remember where. But either way, you you got the talent now. However, you needed to accumulate it, you got it. And if you just do nothing with it, if you get no further than when you weren't having those opportunities and what's the point so i think those two those two scenarios six straight losses to the niners whereas beatdowns and then or just not making the playoffs at all could probably lead to some some the change that a lot of people want to see uh in seattle uh, if they do lose to the 49ers next week and it is them uh in the playoffs just to see what's make it just get uh whoever organizes this thing to get me and adam there because the last time we beat the niners uh, me and Adam were, in fact, in the building. So maybe that's, that's right. That's right. That's the difference. Uh, what a great quiz question that's going to be. Name two players. That's three players that scored touchdowns in that game. Travis Homer, D. Eskridge, Adrian Peterson for the for the Seahawks. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there was uh, something else weird. Happened. That was the weird Gerald Everett game, wasn't that? Where he, like, fumbled or something like that. Yeah. And didn't he, like drop a ball that ended up getting picked at the goal line. It yeah. was a weird Gerald. I remember answering a lot of Gerald Everett questions after the game. <laughs> there, was a, really... there was an ambulance on the field after the first play of the game. Yeah. Trent and Sheffield. Yeah. And Sheffield. That, yeah. that was a, yeah, that was a weird, weird game. And honestly, a game they probably should have lost. If I remember correctly. It was a goal was line a, stand at the end. Goal line stand. Carlos Dunlap bats a ball that yeah. if he doesn't bat it, the guy is going to catch it. I forget who the guy is, but Sidney Jones is not near him. I don't think uh, I'd have yeah. to go back and look, but yeah, I remember thinking, wow, they easily could have just lost 
that that game. Yeah, and that's the last time they beat the. That was, that's crazy how how much it's it's swung. I remember talking to Quandre when I did my uh, I did a feature on Quandre and I went to Texas to go write about it. And he was we were talking just kind of casually about the Niners. And he was like, "Bro, that's the first time." He was like, "Last season." He was like, "Last season's the first time I even lost to the Niners." He's like, "Since I've been here." You know, I was like, damn, really? He was like, yeah. And then we went through all the games and it was like, wow. So he was like, he was like really pissed. It's like, well, I, I'm not used to losing to them. That's my first time losing to them was the, the three games last year. So and now it's been four straight. That's how quickly things change. They went from dominating them to, to a guy like Quandre who got here in 2019 and never lost to him. Now, granted, he was hurt in the 2019 finale, so he didn't play in that. That was also a loss. Uh, but still, you know, he was at the point where he was like, man, I don't lose to these dudes, you know. He's like one of those college kids who loves to graduate saying they never lost to their rival, you know, like, hmm. it's like, yeah, I don't lose to the 49ers. Then last year he lost three times and they weren't even close. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been a minute. They got to change that fast. Shoot. Even if they go five straight losses and getting blown out, I could see someone's key card not working. Cause that's just <laughs> inexcusable to get beat that many times and it not be close. Yeah. That was the thing. Some of those Rams losses, you know, McVay had a little streak against Pete going there for a little bit. Some of them were very close, you know, came down to the, the last possession, a missed field goal here, a made field goal there. People can, you can live with that. The The Seahawks haven't been within 10 points of these guys in the fourth quarter, and I don't know how long. Um, so that's that's where the coaching has fallen clearly, clearly short. Yeah, I mean, Ma- uh, Michael Michael Penix can say he never lost to certain Pac-12 teams, can he, in these two years in yeah, Washington? Yeah. So I mean, we had we had a streak there at Wazoo where we had we had guys who graduated without losing to Oregon, um, you know. Um, yeah, you know, which is that's what you you know you want. Um, can't say that currently, but yeah, we had some guys who. <laughs> I mean, now you got you, the transfer portal. You get guys who don't even stay long enough to play the rival, you know, more than twice or whatever. But yeah, we had guys who graduated like yeah, I don't lose to no duck, you know, duck calling themselves duck hunters and everything. Like that's great. Uh, but yeah, in Seattle now, you're gonna get dudes to who've like never beat the 49ers, you know, yeah. like in that scenario, I just outlined, you're going to get someone like Gino who's never beat them. Like that's, that would be crazy. Yeah. Uh, Adam. I think the last one before we sort of wrap it up, move, move along, but the, the DK stuff this year, I, I, f- I feel like he's always been a fairly easy target for some fan ire when things aren't going well. It's often DK that seems to be the guy that is seen as the, the diva or preening with the binky and whatever. And I, in general, I think that's very unfair. And it's been particularly unfair this year when like no one really talks about the fact that he made three catches at the end of the commanders game and the Rams game, that that's literally why you pay the guy to set up two wins. And I feel like if it was the other way around and he dropped them, the criticism he'd get would be off the charts. And he probably thinks, well, that's my job, like, to do it. But I don't necessarily feel like he's been given his flowers for, for the work that he did on those two drives in particular that should have set up two wins. But, you know, the, the age of, and I guess this points back to identity, is DK ever going to be a player that obviously plays up to a contract of that magnitude in a Seattle-style offense? It's a good question. Probably not. Um at least not by volume, the impact would be there. Like you said, there's plenty of times where they won the game because they had DK. Like mm-hmm. that's happened several times. That happened mm-hmm. in Philly um, multiple times, including a playoff game. Uh, that happened against the Vikings in 2020. That happened against the Niners in 2020 as well. DK, who we just caught a game winner uh, last year against the Rams. 
Yeah, they beat, on Jalen Ramsey. It was like mm. there's, there's. I can point to plenty of games where it's like they won because they had 14. Like that's very clear. I think whether fans, it, it's just hard to quantify. Um, but I do think that subconsciously or consciously, how DK carries himself op- is opened himself to more criticism and less benefit of the doubt than someone like Tyler, for instance, who you never really like. Tyler doesn't. He don't even dress flashy. He don't talk flashy. You don't. You don't talk trash at all. You know, it doesn't really say anything other than like he loves real estate, Jesus, and football, right? Like that's kind of his <laughs> kind of his get down. Um, and that way, when he does things that aren't uh, up to standard, you he, he's not as criticized. Like, oh, that's Tyler, you know. Um, and he does. No one ever mentions his contract. Makes seventeen million a year. Um, he's not even. He's not on pace to crack a thousand yards, right? Um, I don't think he's on pace for a nine hundred currently, uh, which is not totally his fault. But how many times have you heard people bring that up versus how bring up how much you know DK makes? I think you can bring up how much they both make. You know, I brought up a play earlier uh, from one of their from the loss to the Niners. The play breaks down because Tyler loses his route. He gets jammed up by uh, what's his, something Lenore, right? Um, and tries to draw a flag and doesn't get it. If that happened to DK, it'd be in slow-mo, we'd be talking about it all week, it'd be on the Brock and, Brock and Sock would ask Pete about it. Um, now, I think DK doesn't do himself some favors in that regard with the, the penalties um, and the, the late game stuff, or the post-play behaviors that Tyler never exhibits. So I do think he, he's generally not helping himself there. But I do think it's it, all things equal, you, you I feel like you should hear about some other players not living up to whatever you ex- expect from them uh as well because it's it's there's a lot of dudes making a lot of money on this team that ain't about to sniff pro mm. bowls mm. who are getting paid like guys who shouldn't make pro bowls mm. you know for, for you know um tyler tyler being one of them uh i don't really think they'll have many pro bowlers at all really uh spoon has a shot Bobby probably has a shot off name and um, he has a, he has a lot of good like raw numbers. Jordan Brooks has a lot of raw numbers, um, but in general, they're paying a lot of guys like, hey, you should make the Pro Bowl and they won't. Um, but the guy you'll hear probably the most about is is DK. So I do think, um, no, you probably won't see him have the volume to live up to that because. And that's not even you see it in the numbers. DK's best year, right? I think is 2020. He had like 1,300 yards, something like that, a bazillion touchdowns. He's like second-team All-Pro. And look what type of offense he was in when that happened. It was one that Pete didn't rock with. It was one that Pete <laughs> killed after nine games or ten games or whatever. That's really the, the evidence you need right there um, in terms of will he live up to that type of contract. The, the, the season he looked like that contract was warranted is the one where Pete, after, in around this time of year, was like, yeah, we're, we're, we're not going to play like that anymore. Um, and that's – I still think it's worth having a DK. Like my my thing with DK on top of the the mismatch he presents is the the efforts that teams dedicate to trying to stop him. And that has value all up and down the field. Like the Niners don't really have guys shadow and they were like Traverius Ward go cover DK all day. You know that that matters, you know, putting safeties over him and stuff like that. The Bengals deviated from their plan too and was like, "Hey Cam Taylor Britt, it's your birthday. Go cover DK." And he was like, "Yeah." <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'll never do that. Right. But they did it for, for 14. They don't do that for anybody else, you know, and they never will. Um, so I think he has value there. But I, I think that the evidence you need to, to answer that question, Adam, is the 2020 season and everything that's happened since the year that he was statistically like, oh, my God, this is this is the dude. 
was the year that Pete was like, nah, he fired the OC. You know, he fired the OC after that year and then traded the quarterback after the after the next season. Um, so yeah, probably not. I do think last thing on that, DK can probably help himself a little bit better with um uh expanding his his own skill set. Cause sometimes if you like if you don't know any better, like if you're again a casual fan and you just watch the NFL, you you'll be like, wow. How come they just don't throw it up to DK, you know, as much? Or you know what I mean? Like it, it just doesn't match. At least when you watch him, DK sometimes, if you don't know any better and you only watch a couple Seahawks games a year, you would think DK's like a just a buff Deshaun Jackson. You know, just running like if you like, for example, that Thursday game. If you watch the Thursday game, you'd be like, oh yeah, the Seahawks are treating DK like a buff Mike Wallace. And DK's better than that. You know? Um, but some I don't know whether he has to go demand that. I don't know. He seems like a, I'll just do what the coaches tell me to do type of guy. Um, but I think he can probably help himself out there too. Coaches can help him out because he's not just, I'm going to run by the other guy, track speed dude. Like DK can box people out. He can go high point passes. He can do it. Does it with his shirt cropped uh, every game in slow-mo, right? They show it on every broadcast. He can do it. But yeah, I think while they have this system with this head coach, I don't think he'll, he'll probably never put up those 2020 numbers again. The system just won't allow for it. And if it does happen, the OC who does that is getting fired again. Yeah, I think that's kind of what, touching on Tyler quickly, I think that's kind of what makes Tyler Lockett ascending to just behind Steve Largent all the more remarkable because he's done it in that team at a clip quicker than everyone else and he's literally second to Largent in like three categories now. And it's just like he had no right to do it this quick because of, as you said, like how, how the ship is uh, uh, directed. Yeah, and I think Tyler, Tyler, Tyler's benefiting from a few things. He got the best version of Russ, which like, because I don't necessarily think Tyler is like supremely more talented than Golden or Doug, like just on a talent for talent basis. But I do think Tyler got, he came into the league like off rip getting better version of Russ than those guys did. That's just kind of the, the, the nature of it. Fair or not, he, he did. Like I watched, I yeah, rewatched Super Bowl 49. Like, like uh, I think last year, it might've been after you guys had Doug and he mentioned destroying Revis or something like that. So I went back and watched the game and I was like, oh, this offense, independent of what I saw from Doug and Revis, I was just like, wow, this offense, I can see why receivers didn't like this guy. Like, I don't think Russ, can, I don't think Russ threw for a first down in the first quarter. Like it was awful, awful ball. Um, now the Patriots defense was good, but then I rewatched some other games from that season and I was like, oh, no, no, no. This makes perfect sense, you know, because I was in college that year. So, uh, but yeah, I think Tyler's also benefiting from that and longevity. Unless Tyler breaks a bone or gets COVID, he doesn't miss games. So uh, he's he's got that uh, going for him as well. But yeah, I think in terms of perception, he benefits from just kind of being, uh, for lack of a better term, just more likable. You yeah. Know? Nobody dislikes Tyler, you yeah. know what I mean? There's no plenty one, of people who dislike DK. No one hears from Tyler from like, mid-January, February till August. But we hear from DK on socials with being photographed with hip-hop singers I've never heard of um, and th things like that. Yeah, and if you do hear from Tyler, it's like something very wholesome. <laughs> no one should hold that against those guys. I don't care what these guys do in their spare time, to be honest, but I know fans do. That's yeah. The guys want to see – they want to see you posting. Only uh, only thing they want to see on socials after you lose or after a bad season is I only want to see you training. 
don't want to see you at the Grammys. I don't want to see you in the music videos. I don't want to see you at nobody's wedding. All I want to see is workout videos at your old high school, you know, with a really cryptic caption that says you're locked in. And that's just that's just completely unfair uh, expectation. But that's the, you know, kind of the nature of the, the business for these guys these days. Some sort of loading gif. Yeah, yeah, loading or, you know, some some Drake lyrics. You know, players love everyone loves Drake lyrics, not just athletes, but athletes in particular and single women love Drake lyrics for their Instagram <laughs> captions. So and that's what they want all off season. And don't go to Venice. Uh spin in the bin, Adam. Yeah, let's do it. I got uh, a new one that, okay. uh, that I was gonna do actually. Alright, I'll start. Uh whoever the cleaner was who cleaned my room on uh Saturday night and stole my headphones in uh King's Cross. You can oh, get them in. Yeah. Yeah, that was no, no, no one handed in. Yeah, they did. Uh, yeah, that's my first one. Uh, I'll let you go, Adam. Uh, my bin is a very potential bin, uh, and it's one that Mike, you know, you are obviously a big power at the NFL these days. You might have to help pull some strings or or help not pull some strings, as the case may be. So, I booked flights for this Eagles game about three or four weeks ago. For some reason, the signing of Frank Clark excited me so much. I was like, right, I've got to. To that game. <laughs> anyway, those two things are not entirely unrelated. They're not entirely unrelated. Because I, I looked at it and I thought, right, this team is serious. Like they could have just made made do with what they had on the roster when Chenna went down. But no, they went out and got the guy they thought was the best guy possible. Hasn't quite worked out. But anyway, I got excited. I'm coming to the Eagles game. I'm flying out on the Thursday. I'm flying back on the Monday night. There are okay. a couple of small reports today. And I think it's, I don't think there's that much smoke to the fire that said that the Eagles Seahawks game has a potential to be flexed to the Monday night. Oh, Oh, I did not know that. (laughs) And next Tuesday is because it's currently chiefs Patriots is that Monday night game. Oh man. Oh, that game would suck. (laughs) And Dallas against Buffalo is at the same time window currently as Eagles Seahawks on that Sunday late window. So no one of any repute has even mentioned that it is going to happen, could happen, but it's lingering. Mm -hmm. And I just want to put anyone in the bin that even has the remotest (laughs) thought at the league that that would be a good idea. Because not only would it completely screw me financially, my at-home relations like <laughs> slightly rocky ground the fact that i'm taking this five-day trip by myself at the best of times it would not help the situation if i had to extend the trip or otherwise or move the trip at all so yeah that that's where i am and mike i have to put full responsibility on in, on your shoes now because you are the only one that could potentially speak to someone that could help me on this Oh, man. Yeah, I think I'm looking at that week 15 slate. Now, that Buffalo and Dallas game is probably protected by Fox as America's game of the week, I would imagine, because it has the Cowboys in it. So they probably can't move that. Uh, And there's no CBS doesn't have a game, a big game in the afternoon like that they'd be sending like Romo to. Uh, Yeah, they're probably getting the Seahawks that that Bills Cowboys is probably getting like their A crew which I think is Greg Olson and somebody mm. I think is the, who their A team yeah, is but, uh, he might be the Carolina coach so you know maybe that uh, <laughs> that's true <laughs> yeah, like, yeah I'm, I'm, I'd be weary of coaching fires especially <laughs> sometimes when they only fire like one dude you know like uh, I've seen that a few times where the, the the head coach gets fired like week 10 and he's the only guy that gets fired and I'm like ah ain't no way he was the only guy that was the problem so I actually do appreciate where you get a situation like you got in Carolina where they fired 
Frank Reich and then fired like five other guys. Everybody. <laughs> they fired everybody else because that makes sense. Like this ain't just Frank. Frank's don't coach <laughs> the running backs. Frank's don't coach the receivers. You know, the whole offense is bad. So that, uh, but when you do that, <laughs> you do need guys to actually coach those position groups. Yeah, they might call uh yeah, they might call Cam Newton. They might because yeah, they fire the quarterbacks coach. They might mm-hmm. fi- call Cam. They might call Greg Olson. You know, Jonathan Stewart. Uh, who, whoever else they need to call out a retirement to come just just so they have guys to run the meetings. <laughs> I, I might have to play the play the long game and hope that the Seahawks get waxed by forty on Thursday to not encourage them to flex them into a prime time game. Or what you could, if if they're competitive, what could happen is you could get then Fox maybe wanting to send the A team to Seattle perhaps and, and mm-hmm. protecting that game i don't i forget how all those protections with the broadcast stuff work some kind of new ish to that side of the business but yeah I didn't, I didn't even think about that i forgot you can flex mondays oh man chiefs patriots is gonna stink but, but they didn't and, they, and, did, they didn't flex it last night they could have yeah they didn't last flex night. last night and that was an awful game so i'm hoping See, hope, see the thing about hoping. the awful games, though. Me and my homies were talking about this when the the, the Sunday night game. We had a we had a big we had three straight primetime games in a, in one week that were just awful. It was like Bears Panthers on the Thursday, Jets Raiders on the Sunday night, and then the Monday night was like Bills Broncos or something. And on paper, like woof, that was all bad. And you watch all three of those games if you dared to do so, like I did. All of them were competitive down to the last possession. It's, and I think two of those games came down to the last play. Um, and yes, the Jets and the the Jets losing did, and the Bills losing did because of that uh, twelve men on the field. That is all the networks care about. Give us a competitive game. It doesn't matter if you get two good teams and one team blows the other one out. Um, you know, and you really want market size. Like in those two scenarios, you got Justin Fields, Chicago market, and the number one pick. So you got Bryce and Justin. Network wins came down to the last play. The other game you got the Jets, New York market, easy, and you got the Raiders, Raiders fans, easy win for that for that network, and it came down to the the final play. Bills in Denver is not as much of a market thing, but then you sell your quarterbacks. You got Josh Allen, and then you got Russell Wilson. Boom, two quarterbacks came down to the last play, easy. I bet you all the numbers for all those games were great. So like, but that said, Chiefs Patriots that week, Adam is not. Great. Like Patriots <laughs> is not like a huge draw minus Tom Brady, I wouldn't think. Um, and then Mahomes is though. So maybe Mahomes is the biggest. Maybe ESPN's like, we need Mahomes. This also could be the game where it's like the the gif of the four guys dancing with the coffin and it's Bill Belichick's career in that coffin <laughs> walking through the street. Oh, you want to talk about key cards not working. Bill Belichick is in for a world of hurt on Black Monday or whatever, because his team is bad. Yeah. Very bad. It. Yeah. That's what you Fire need. Fireable bad. You need Bell to like announce his retirement in like the next 10 days. I, I think, I think Pete and uh, Pete, Bill Belichick, Mike Tomlin, and John Harbaugh, I may be missing someone else. I think all four of them will get to walk away before they yeah. get fired. Yeah. Whenever that happens, not to say they all happen this year, just in general. Like I feel like all of them, whenever that's time, We'll get to just resign or whatever mutual parting aways type thing. It won't be no leaked sources to Adam Schefter or whatever to like they got fired. I think that they've they've built that up with the ownership to like we're not just going we're going to resign. We're going to let you go out on your own terms, and I think they've earned that. Oh, Andy Reid, Andy Reid has earned that as well. Yeah, I don't think Andy Reid will get fired. You know, I think he'll just be able to walk away whenever he wants. Pete too. The the 
the job Mike Tomlin does and has done in Pittsburgh with what he's had is unbelievable, isn't it? It kind of feels like it's been talked about this year, but he had a dead arm Ben Roethlisberger. He's got a pretty meh quarterback this on a rookie deal and everything. He's got a receiver who's not watching what the, what's happening in the play. He has a receiver every year throw a, a tantrum. Claypool's now an inactive tight end for Miami. And he's just always <laughs> six, six or seven in the AFC. It's, he's like, it, I, I honestly, and he feels like the people are talking about Tomlin being one of the upper echelon coaches this year. I don't, I don't know what to do with Mike Tomlin because, like, his, this Steelers team he has is not that good, mm. but it wins. And mm. then you guys remember a few years ago, he had, like, an 11-0 Steelers team that wasn't good at all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they were 11-0, you know? Yeah. I don't really – he just kind of wins games, yeah. I guess, but it's like I, I, the product is not necessarily that good. I honestly don't know what to do with that. I do, I do like that his team always has – the same character like you do know when you go to pittsburgh you're in for a fight and if pittsburgh comes to you they're not going to lay down yeah. and that I, I guess like that's always going to be respectable the ravens are the same way you know if you go to baltimore it's going to be tough whether the ravens stink or they're great same thing if they come to you you're like all right damn the ravens are coming let's let's be on our p's and q's because john is going to have his team ready in all three phases like that's you know pq has that same rep too but yeah so but yeah i don't know tomlin's teams are weird they yeah. like have bad point differentials um, their defense is like sometimes great, sometimes just okay, and their offenses stink, and yet they're in position to maybe win the division. Very weird. <laughs> yeah, like, Mike, the, give the, us a bin, then we can uh, we can get you out of here. Uh, uh, my let's see, I haven't thought about a bin person, but off the top of my head, because it's fresh, I'd probably say Jim Irsay, the owner of the Colts. Who, <laughs> um, he says a lot of crazy stuff, but I think it was like two weeks ago he had an interview with HBO Real Sports. I didn't watch the whole interview. I just saw the same clip that everybody else saw where Jim says that if he was a regular, you know, average Joe, that when he got pulled over for DUI in 2014, he would not have been taken in. He was only taken in because he is a rich white billionaire. um, And I guess he was feeling targeted in that instance. Um, I think that is it's crazy for obvious reasons. It's like, come on, man. They're not just profiling a rich white billionaire. duh. Um, But in that particular instance, I went back and reread the details. I, I remembered the details, but I wanted to just confirm them. Jim was riding around with prescription pills in prescription bottles that didn't match, right? Like he had pills in there, but they weren't pills for what the, the bottles said that was supposed to be in there. Huge red flag. Uh, he was swerving in the middle of the street uh, and he had like $29,000 in cash um, on him. Like average Joe or not, that person is getting pulled in. You're at least getting booked, whether you get convicted or whatever, which he, I think he pled out of that, because um, of course he did. That guy is always going to get, uh, and I think his like uh, speech was slurred, I want to say. The, the dash cam footage is out. Um, I rewatched it. Like That guy is for sure getting yanked, man, particularly with all that cash. Mm-hmm. Like All that cash makes it look like you're a pill-popping drug dealer driving home, swerving in the middle of the street at one in the morning, right? Like you're, They're not usually going to let that rock. At the at the like at best, you could maybe hope for they just give you a ride home, let you leave your car sober up, so there's no paperwork. But no, nah, man, that was just he goes in the bin. That was absolutely ridiculous, and he really doubled down on it too. Like he firmly believes that he's like, yeah, man, they're just targeting me because I'm a rich white billionaire. It's like I don't know, man. I do think celebrities do get targeted in some instances. I don't think that's totally. Um, 
egregious to claim. But in that particular instance, like, bro, twenty nine thousand. Who who has twenty nine thousand dollars in cash, right? Like, clearly that's drug dealer stuff. Like, you weren't about to just drop that off at the local boys and girls club. This is a donation. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not weeping rivers for no. for, for, for Jim at this stage with yeah, that story. I don't that think. was that was so that was so strange. Is, um, that's when he went after Stephen A. and Kimberly Martin, like. 24 hours later, because they talked about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't tell what he was so mad at Kimberly for. I think <laughs> I, I watched the segment um, to see if I could deduce what he would upset him so much. And I, it seems like he was just upset that they insinuated that he was drunk. Yeah. Um, which is, it, it, that's factually inaccurate. He was, you know, they, he did not have alcohol in his system. He had a bunch of pills, <laughs> but he was not drunk. Mm. I don't know if that really warrants calling uh kimberly whatever he called her um but yeah that was very strange yeah it, uh, he definitely tweeted like a pill popper uh for sure. he always, <laughs> he always tweets like someone who's on some type of drugs particularly in that even in that video that he made from his private jet after they lost to the jaguars a couple of years ago before they traded carson wentz like that was clearly like oh yeah he's high yeah he's high and he's angry that his team missed the playoffs and lost to the jaguars again he has I mean, the right to be high and angry but it's just <laughs> like dude no one's targeting you because you're rich and white you were yeah. swerving in the middle of the street with with drugs and cash on you like you're lucky they didn't make an episode of power uh, about you, you know? like that was that was that's 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 arrestable behavior, man. No matter who you are. Yeah, and he uh, he also does it. It seems like he does it at the peak of the high as well. Like it's just <laughs> like 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 he's only coming down from there. And uh, yeah, also imagine the smirk on Stephen A's face when he saw that tweet from Asa as well. He's like, "Well, there's forty five minutes to the show tomorrow." Oh yeah, now nah, Stephen is on a roll, man. That dude is untouchable. <laughs> He's untouchable. There's a lot of politics at ESPN. You know, when you're owned by Disney and all the league mm. partners they have, and how you have to conduct yourself on certain platforms and what you can say, who you can call out. None of that stuff matters to Stephen A. No. He's just like, I'm going to talk about uh, drugs and sex and, <laughs> and 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 prostitutes and strip clubs and being horny and whatever and talk call whoever he wants on his podcast and then just the next day he's right back on a network owned by disney yeah. <laughs> talking about power rankings and screaming at ryan clark <laughs> and michael irvin it is just he is living the life right now he yeah. got the world to call him stephen a yeah so you know that he's untouchable i was thinking about trying to do that man like try to michael incorporate. S. Michael S. yeah yeah you know just kind of make people have to call me by my full because you get some people who's known by that michael eric dyson um kind of does the same thing ja adande you uh used to work for espn you can some people can pull um well that off michael michael b jordan you know does yeah. there's no reason we should be calling him michael b jordan his name mike, <laughs> you know just like mine <laughs> but we call him his full joint so i've been trying to figure out how i can do that i think it's too late though what about msd msd has caught on um i didn't start that though i <laughs> i don't know i think jason jenks my colleague at the athletic is who started the msd thing just just one day just started calling you that on our slack channels at the athletic and then you get other people calling me that and now I use it in emails. They just kind of, <laughs> I'm cool with that one, but I do think you just look more distinguished when like people feel like they have to pronounce your uh, middle initial when they address you. Like that, there's that's that's kind of fire. I, I That's dope. Like Michael B. Jordan pulling that off is really impressive because you usually don't see that with actors. No, and he was Wallace in The Wire. I guess Samuel Jackson too does it. So there's, there's some precedent there. Yeah. Uh, I think that's everything. I don't think I have any, anyone else in the bill. I didn't really pay much attention to non-Seahawks NFL this, this week, to be honest, because 
as the aforementioned hangover on Sunday. Actually, no, yeah. I, no, top, uh, Spurs can go in the bin for ruining my weekend by losing to the. Uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. I won a, a lot of money on Friday. I had a, my my soccer team went on Saturday and then got, as I said, uh, lubricated on Saturday night. And then I watched that, the fucking shit from up the road win. <laughs> just the palace of all palaces. It's, yeah, horrible. Just reminded me how much I hate them, so. Well, I guess that's a greasy bonus. Uh, Mike, it's always a pleasure having you on. Good to see you. Good to chat to you. As uh, for my side, I, yeah, I'll, I'll wait. We come over in a few weeks. Adam, Adam's budget can't stretch to cover my. <laughs> my, my, my uh, yeah, uh, but yeah, uh, where can people get a hold of you or what, follow you and read read your stuff and listen to you? Just follow me um, on the F or follow me on Twitter on X or whatever at Mike Dugar. I just pin everything to the top of my profile. Um, we're uh, we're moving our podcast um, soon, so I think by the time this comes out, that'll probably be announced already. So, but either way, that'll still be available on Spotify, on Apple, and everything. But yeah, it, just to keep up with everything I'm doing, always just follow me on X, Twitter, or whatever that's called these days, and everything I write. Everywhere I appear, every you know, it'll all just be on there. Yeah, and TV might happen more, more and more often on Insta as well. I see. Yeah, yeah, I'll be on TV again after the Cowboys game. Awesome. Uh, I, I think it'll air over the weekend, but we're going to shoot it um, on Thursday night. Yeah. Cool. Adam, the, at the Ped Pod on Twitter. At the Ped Pod on Twitter, indeed, our new Twitter home that no one follows, but we'll get them there. Yeah. We'll get them there. <laughs> By hook or by crook, and as you said, the content machine. Uh, Indeed. The pod. Uh, yeah, enjoy the game. Uh, uh, watch the game on uh, Thursday night, where other calling the world you are in. We'll be back next week. But yeah, this has been the Pedestrian Podcast. Go Hawks.